we've been talking about life and death issues as we've studied through the book of John. Uh, my name's Brian, and I'm really glad to get to uh, preach to you from the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 12, if you want to go ahead and be turning over there. Uh, but we're, we're talking each week, just as John uh, in his gospel talks about how Jesus gives us life, and we have this choice. We have this choice of life or death. And some of you uh, may have seen me last week, and you thought I looked a little less like life and a little more like death. Um, the truth is that I did not feel very well last Sunday. Do you have any idea how hard it is to be a preacher and not shake anybody's hand on a Sunday? Um, that was my goal last week, and uh, so sorry if I was rude to you or I looked like I was carrying things unnecessarily. It was so I would not uh, contaminate my entire church family. But I actually preached the sermon and walked out the door as soon as the sermon was over and got in my car and drove home and laid in my bed for 48 hours <laughs> is pretty much what I did. And so uh, I felt a little bit like a diva just leaving. It would have been cooler if I would have dropped the mic and then like walked out. Um, but that's not, that's not exactly what I did either. So uh, I do appreciate for some of you checking on me this week, and uh, I'm feeling much better uh, this morning. Uh, but we have this important text to jump into. Uh, also, I know a, a number of you are going through the Rooted experience. It's a, a discipleship and Bible study, and, uh, and today's sermon actually ties in with what you're doing, and so glad that you're here today. But if you're not doing that, today's sermon ties in as well just to our lives because we're talking about this theme of money. The Bible talks a lot about money. Our world talks a lot about money. There's this guy from Montreal uh, who's sort of an internet celebrity or at least wannabe uh, investor, and an investor is kind of a kind way to put it because it's more like a stock gambler, might be better, a speculator, something like that. But he had inherited $2.5 million from an uncle, and he began making these really risky stock plays, and he had whittled down his $2.5 million to $250,000. That's how great he was doing. <laughs> um, and back at the very end of January, uh, he wrote this column uh, where he said it was going to be his YOLO, his you only live, you know, only live once moment, and he was going to bet everything he had against Apple. And so his, his thought was, uh, Apple's earnings report is going to come out, and it's going to be terrible, and then their stock is going to go down, and through this series of risky uh, stock plays, I'm going to get back everything I lost. And when I read what he was writing, he kept using phrase like, it's my money that I lost, and I need to get it back. And when people start talking like that, I kind of just hear a gambler talking, you know, like, I lost my money to the slot machine, and I got to get it back, as if they still own that money. Well, this guy, you know, bet, put it all in, uh, wanted to, to get back all of his money, and what he needed was for Apple stock to go down in order to, to get it back. But if Apple stock went up, he was going to lose it all. And I don't know if you knew what happened at the end of January, but... Uh, Apple reported record earnings, and their stock price went up $5 the day after he made the play, and it's continued to rise. It was at 122 now it's like at almost 140 So he lost all the rest of his investment. And there's some people who think that maybe he did not quite invest as much as he said he did, and it was a little bit of a stunt. One way or another, it was a really terrible idea <laughs> that this guy had, um, uh, betting, not, not just that he bet against Apple, a company that's done well for a long time, 
but just that he bet it all to begin with. Why would you do that? What is it about money that can make such a fool out of us? Because we can point fingers at him and talk about him, but if we had time, could we not all go around and just share, here's the stupidest financial thing I ever did. And we would go around and we would uh, say, yeah, I invested in this. Or, yes, I sent off and I bought one of those knives that's supposed to cut through shoes. Why do we need to cut through a shoe? Um, you know, we, we, we could go around, uh, yes, I, I, I got this great vacation package. Or, yes, I bought this really expensive, you know, uh, jacket and it fell apart you know, after one wash. or so, You know, we, we, we've all done dumb things with money. And what is it about money that can lead us to just do so many foolish things? You know, how tightly you hold your money is really how tightly your money holds you. And when you think about this guy, he wasn't holding his money anymore, was he, this investor? I mean, his, his investments or his wannabe investments had gotten a grip of him. They were holding him. It can turn around in a heartbeat. And before we jump into our key text in John chapter 12, I just want to begin with this cautionary warning from 1 Timothy 6. I think 1 Timothy 6 ought to be something that we uh, just read every once in a while to remind us about a godly view of money. Uh, it starts off good. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Will you? Those who want to get rich, here's the warning. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You've known some of these people. Maybe... That person is you. Because all of a sudden, we're not just talking about financial ruin here. We're, n we're not even just talking about relational ruin here. We're talking about spiritual ruin here. That's the kind of hold that money can get on us when we begin to chase it, when we want nothing more than to get rich. As you read through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, you just read warning after warning of don't chase this thing don't sacrifice everything you've got in order to try to chase this thing called money because it will take a hold of you and chew you up and spit you out and you'll be left with ruined relationships, friendships, marriage, jobs, health, all of these things, maybe even spiritual life. So let's, let's look at John chapter 12 because there's this incredible story in which we see in the same story to very different people and how they viewed money. Could not be more different. And we can learn from both of them. And so John chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. 
and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So there's a lot going on to this story. And can we just begin talking about the very end there? As I was reading verse 10, I thought, was there ever a more stupid plan concocted by anybody in the history of the world to say, well, Lazarus is alive now. How can we get Jesus back? Let's kill Lazarus again. Of all the people that you want to kill, I'd leave that dude alone. And, and how are you going to threaten Lazarus? Hey, Lazarus, you might die. Yeah, I did that the other day. <laughs> Bring it on. But when, but when you're so angry and you're so jealous, you don't necessarily think straight, do you? The religious leaders weren't thinking straight. So here we are. We're about a week before the crucifixion. I mean, th- this is down to the wire here. And certainly in Jesus' life, every moment mattered. But I mean, we're, we're right down to the end here. And some of the disciples might be sensing that just a little bit. Jesus certainly has told them enough times. But Jesus uh, is there gathered, and they're having this dinner. And when we read this story, you may be remembering uh, other gospels tell this story. True. But Luke 7 also tells a different story, but it's very similar. Jesus is um, at a house, at a Pharisee's house, and uh, this uh, woman who's called a sinful woman comes and anoints uh, Jesus' feet and also head, not only with uh, perfume but with her tears. And that's actually a different account. Um, and as we read the two stories, we realize, yeah, these are two different things that happen. And I'm wondering here if Mary was thinking, I want to honor Jesus like she did. It seems like a bit of, of, a, of a copycatting what had been done before, but certainly her heart is, is in the right place. And so what I want to do this morning with you, if you want to look on your sermon page, this might be helpful, but do something just a little bit different. I just want to kind of do a, a contrast between Mary and Judas. I want that to kind of be the, the thick of our study this morning because it just seems like that's what the text is doing here. We got a contrast between uh, these two people. And so think about these two. We have Judas here on one side and we have Mary on the other and how different they are. And for Judas, he's fearful. People who are hanging on to money and money is hanging on to them are very fearful. They're always afraid they're going to lose it and they're never going to have enough. And yet Mary, and I'll kind of combine the stories just a little bit of Mary and also the sinful woman from earlier. Mary, she's joyful. And when your heart is in the right place with giving and with money, it all of a sudden gets fun to give. 
You're full of joy when you give. Can you think back on times in your life when you have given and helped somebody and you just walked away grinning ear to ear? Because you knew you did the right thing and you got to bless somebody and help somebody. It is a, a beautiful thing. And she did not give just a little bit. Did you hear how much it was? A year's wages. So what do you make in a year? 20000 30000 50000 100000 whatever it is, that's how much the perfume cost. She spent a year of year's wages and dumped it out on Jesus. You're thinking, really? Yeah, really. And she did it with joy. And Jesus says, she does well here. She did the right thing here. And Judas, he was greedy. But Mary, she was content. And Judas always needed more and more and more and more. And we fall into this trap so quickly, don't we? And it's easy for us to look at other people and think, man, how could they be, you know, how could Bernie Madoff be ripping off people when he already has so much money? How could he be so greedy? How could that Hollywood star not pay their taxes even though I know how much money they made in that last film? Why, why would they do that? And again, we begin to point the finger at other people and we need to maybe look at ourselves and say, well, Relatively speaking, I have a lot of money. When you look around globally, I'm rich. And yet, I want more and more. And we want more and more. And we probably just need to look inward and say, am I greedy? Do I, am I like on this treadmill? Have I never have enough? I always just need more, 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 more. Or have I become content like this woman, like Mary? said, I, I got enough, and, and maybe this is going to set me back for a long time, but I still have enough to be generous. Judas, he was fearful, Mary joyful, he was greedy, Mary content, and he was, the text says it, a thief. So he was the keeper of the disciple, disciples' money bag, and uh, as the disciples traveled, they would needed to get into that, for, buy food. I imagine they oftentimes helped people and helped the poor, help others. And Judas apparently says was helping himself to it. That's one way to put it. So ah, oh, they they don't really need that. They don't really need that. They don't really need that. My my best buddy from growing up works uh, loss prevention for Lowe's, and he has some really interesting stories. Uh, the cool part of his job is he gets to catch bad guys. Uh, who come into the store and try to steal stuff. And there's some really crazy stories about that. The really sad part of his job is when he has to catch somebody who's a Lowe's employee who has been stealing some things. And if you've been around department stores and, and big chain stores, you know that this is a, a common problem. And so think how sad it would be to have to talk to somebody you know and say, uh, you've been accused of this. And uh, Scott has told me that the key to getting a confession is to uh, begin making excuses until one of them sticks. Because the moment that you say the right excuse, the person is way more apt to kind of break down and confess. For instance, I, I heard your car broke down. And you were just thinking, ah, Lowe's doesn't really need this. But I sure do to make this car payment. And, and uh, maybe a family member is sick. And so you begin to think, well, Lowe's has all this money. They're a big company. But, man, I need a little extra money on the side 
to help my family member who's sick. And the moment you can begin to identify the excuse, then the person may begin to give a confession because we all do that, don't we? We make some excuses for why we can sacrifice our integrity. And Judas began to make one excuse after another until he had zero credibility left at all, until he had sacrificed it all. But this woman, Mary, on the other hand, she's a giver. She's a giver. Who knows how long it took her to work and to have this and if she would ever have perfume like this again, but she gave it all. Don't you want to be known as a giver? As somebody who was generous and gave and met needs and cared for people and worshiped the Lord? Judas, he was arrogant. He, he felt like he needed uh, to control everything. And, and he was good enough. And he didn't need to listen to anybody else. He needed to push past that conviction that he would have felt when he was stealing. But Mary, I almost put the word down humble, but maybe the word contrite is even better. I like that word. When you think about the word contrite, you think about somebody who's on their knees, and you think about tears coming down. There's a sorrow to that word, contrite. Somebody who feels so bad about their life that they realize that, I need Jesus to save me. There was a sermon written by a guy named Joseph Parker in the second half of the 1800s. And he has this beautiful little paragraph in talking about how we oftentimes think that we deserve the money rather than seeing that as a blessing from God. And he wrote this. I just want to read it to you. He said, if money fell from the firmament like rain or snow or sunshine, we could perhaps more readily concede it came from God. But because it comes through sometimes obscure channels, we feel not upon it the warmth of the divine touch and see on it no nobler image than Caesar's. What he was getting at was we just begin to think, ah, uh, there's nothing to that. It just came from man came from him or her, and we forget that everything given to us comes with the divine touch. Every piece of clothing you have, your house, your car, your children, money, everything that God has entrusted to you comes with the divine touch. So treat it carefully. Be a good steward of that. Next, we see that Judas, uh, Judas was bitter, but Mary was forgiven. We, you get this bitterness with Judas, and where does it lead him? It leads him to suicide, to hanging himself. That's how his life ends. And do you remember what he did right before he committed suicide? He had betrayed Jesus for 30 silver coins, but he threw those coins back. Why? Everything he had been chasing risking his own life, thinking that everything would be great if all he had was this big bag of coins. And he realizes once he's got it, it means nothing to him. In fact, it torments him. And he throws it back and he ends his life in complete bitterness. What a waste. And so many other people have wasted their life, maybe not quite that dramatically. Maybe that's not how their life ended. Maybe they actually died with, that 30, uh, with those 30 coins you know, in that bag on their chest. And that's how they went. Still, what a waste to go that way, clinging tightly and thinking that that's important. Complete bitterness 
is how Joseph's life or Judah's life ends. But for Mary, she experiences forgiveness. The, the sinful woman who came to Jesus experiences forgiveness. And Jesus says, you know, people who have, have been forgiven much, they love much. And the moment that you think, well, I haven't really been forgiven that much, God's going to call into question your love for him. Because if you think, well, I don't really need that much forgiveness from God. I'm pretty much a decent person. Then God says, I'm worried about your love for me. Because it's only when we realize God forgives me and I'm broken without him that then we return the love to God that he expects. Finally, Judas, he's cursed. But Mary and the woman, they are praised. We're still praising them today. We're still talking about their act of sacrifice today. Money became the ruler, the vice, and the death of Judas. How tightly you hold your money is how tightly your money holds you. When you think back to John 6 and the feeding of the 5,000, remember the concern? We talked about this text last week. The concern was, how are we going to feed all these people? We got 15,000 people. How are we going to do it? All we've got is this, this little boy's lunchbox. You know, just a little bit of bread, two little fish there. How are we going to feed? We don't have enough. That's the phrase that... Satan likes to tell us, you don't have enough. You don't have enough to do anything. You don't have enough to be generous, to help other people. And can you imagine the boy just saying, I know it doesn't seem like enough, but here, you can have it anyway. It's almost embarrassing to give that little. And some of you have given in a way, and you had to overcome embarrassment first. But in God's kingdom, that's not the way things work, is it? It's not just about an amount it's about the sacrifice. And then Jesus takes that and he blesses it. Can you imagine the stories the boy got to tell the rest of his life? I bet you his lunchbox went into like a museum somewhere. You know, <clears throat> wouldn't you like to see that? Maybe he went home that day. He's like, Mom, you have no idea how many people you packed lunch for today. You would not believe what happened. And he got to have a testimony the rest of his life. Do you think he ever doubted a gift to the Lord again and thought, Oh, sorry, God, I, I, I wish I had more to give. <laughs> no. He was probably filled with joy the rest of his life to give to others, to give to Jesus, to give to the Lord, because he had seen firsthand that when you give, God takes it and blesses it beyond measure, and he can do with it way more than what you could do with it yourself. If that boy tried to feed everybody, he gets one person fed, and that's a light lunch. But when he gives to God... God feeds 15,000 people. That's just the way God's kingdom works. It doesn't make sense. You can't do the math and have it all work out. It's the beautiful part of God's kingdom and his generosity. It reminds me of the church in Corinth because the apostle Paul writes about how their, they, this extreme uh, generosity welled up out of poverty. Their generosity came from their extreme poverty. What? How does that work? It doesn't work with math. But this church that was um, experiencing persecution, they were experiencing poverty and, and all of these things going against them. But because they fully trusted in God, what sprung up was generosity to care for other people. 
And that's what God does. He flips everything upside down. We think we have it figured out, and we don't. And God says, trust me with what you have. And we all like to say, well, I just don't have enough. I don't have enough to give. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. My bank account is not big enough to give. And I want you to listen to me today. God always gives you enough to be generous. He always gives you enough to be generous. And, and I realize when you look around, you're looking, well, if, if only I had that much money, then I would really be generous with people. If only I had that person's amount of free time, then I would really be generous with my time. If only I, if I had that person's energy, just this endless supply of energy, then I would really be generous with the energy in my life to give to other people. Uh-uh. Quit thinking that way. That is a lie. If that boy would have believed that lie, 15,000 people would have gone hungry, okay? But because the boy said, no, I have enough to be generous, everyone gets fed. And I'm telling you, you have enough to be generous. God knows what he's doing with you. And he gave you enough time in your life to share it, and energy to share it, money to share it. So be generous with what you have. You have enough to be very generous and to bless people and to honor the Lord and never thank the other. A phrase I I first heard when I came to Highland Park and it's always stuck with me was this, not equal amounts, but equal sacrifice. It was in the middle of a building campaign and we talked about how many people here at Highland Park were going to give to that. Um, It's when the activity center, the whole gym got built. Uh, And it's been used for ministry for 18 years in amazing ways. Uh, But uh, the idea behind that phrase is, listen, we have all these different people from different income levels. And so one person's gift, we're not measuring it against anybody else's. We're not out for that. But what we commit to as a church family is not to give the same amount, but to give with the same amount of sacrifice. Equal sacrifice. And that's God's kingdom again. Don't you want to be part of a church family that you look around here and you think, wow, sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. Everyone giving, everyone being generous, not comparing me to you. And we're not writing names up here and say, well, this is how much so-and-so gave and Brian only gave this much. No, no, no. We're just, it's equal sacrifice. We're all sacrificing together. We're all being compassionate together. You know, God entrusts so much to us. There's this difference between being an owner and being a manager. And so often we think, well, I'm the owner of everything in my life. I own my money. I own my car. I own my house. I own my health. I own my time. And God says, that's not the way it is. I gave you your health. I gave you your life. I gave you your kids. I gave you money that you may have. I gave you the house, everything. So you are just a temporary Manager, so manage it well. The biblical word is stewardship. Be a good steward of that. Take what God has given to you. He's entrusted to you and be a good steward with that. And and don't assume that you can outsmart God with it and that you can do more with it than God can do with it. No, we can't. We never can. There's a... uh, a thing that Dave Ramsey says that I appreciate. And by the way, on our Facebook page, we loaded a link or two that have some budget helps and things like that. If you are thinking, man, I need to, to do some homework when I get home. 
Uh, but one of the things I like that Dave Ramsey says, I was listening to him a while back, he says when he walks around his office, if he sees somebody like messing around, he'll only see them messing around once. <laughs> um, it, you know, if somebody's on Facebook or texting with a friend and messing around, he, want, he doesn't want to be a dictator, he wants people to have fun, and, but there's a fine line between having some fun spirit in the office and just goofing off and not working. And he'll actually say to them, you are stealing from me because I'm paying you to work during this hour and if you're not working, you're stealing from our company. Don't do it again. <laughs> or pack your box and go home because I can't afford to pay people to mess around. Don't be a thief. And that kind of similar harsh language we read uh, all the way back in the book of Malachi, chapter three, God says, you are withholding your gifts from me. You're stealing from me. So knock it off. Quit it. Don't assume that you're the owner of that and you can keep it and you're not supposed to be generous with it. No, don't do that because I will call you a thief. And that's what God does. It's pretty harsh language for us. So I think we ought to read it and listen real carefully. The biblical principle is fairly simple. It is this. When we are given money, we give first, we save next, and we live off the rest. It's, a, it's just a really simple way to go about it. And whether you are a high school student and you're, you're, you're making 10 bucks uh, from raking some leaves uh, or you're making a million dollars a year, uh, no matter what you are on income level, if you will practice this principle, you will find that greed will not overtake you. Because if you get money, then the biblical principle is the first thing you do is say, God, I want to give to you. That's called giving back the first fruits of the harvest. With harvest, it was maybe easier because it didn't come, you know, just in a bank deposit. You could actually see it. You know, you could see all your fruit right there. And you think, okay, here's the first basket of apples from the apple tree. Lord, here you go. This is for you. And then you take the next and you think, okay, we need to put away a little bit for savings for harder times. And you need to put some money away for savings too so that you can meet opportunities when they come up so you can care for a family member who has a crisis. God doesn't want us to live in just absolute chaos with our finances. Uh, we read all, especially go through and just read Proverbs. It talks a lot about the idea of saving and being wise with that. There's a difference between saving and hoarding though. Jesus talks about that. You know, the hoarding is all about my comfort, all about me, 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 and I need more, 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 more. Saving is wisdom and thinking about other people as well. So we give first, we save next, and then we live off the rest. So if it's 10,000 bucks, then the first thing I can say is I'm giving. Maybe 10% is your benchmark, and you're taking $1,000 and saying, I'm giving this, and then you're thinking, I need to save. Here's 500 that's going to go into savings. And then I'm like, okay, now I got $8,500. I got to, that's, that's my budget now. Now, now I got a number to work with. And usually what we do is we do the opposite way around. We live and we buy this and we buy this and we buy this and we overextend and we overextend. And uh, the average American has $14,000 of just credit card debt. We're not talking car payments and other things on school loans on top, on top of that. So there's all this debt that's eating us up. And then when we get to the end of that, we're like, ooh, I probably should have saved something, and I feel bad that I can't give. And it's just not a healthy place to be. And, and listen, I get it. Lots of us 
may feel like we're there right now and God's not looking down judging you and being angry and, and beating you up. I don't want you to feel that. But I do want you to realize that when we learn truth, that God says, I love you, I come to you in grace, but now I expect you to obey. And I'd like you to be wise with this and to take this, that, that God did not set this out in order to punish us, but to set us free because guilt just kills us. And debt, how many marriages have been rocked because of financial troubles? How many churches haven't been able to do what God had set out in front of them? How many businesses shaken? How many people have had this stress in their lives that they can't overcome? And so God has done us this wonderful favor, this great blessing by saying, here's a way to overcome greed and stress in your life. Here's the pattern. And I know it may be messy for a while and it may be hard to get there, but you can do this. And, and, and God wants to bless us with that. I want to jump back to 1 Timothy chapter 6 because there's this, just this beautiful kind of ending to this chapter. Verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Don't you want to take hold of the life that is truly life? Don't you want to don't you want to give your life to something that matters, to something that's eternal? Imagine what would have happened if Mary would have found out that she was going to die the very night after she had anointed Jesus' feet. She had spent all that. Do you think she would have, would have gone to her deathbed in, reg in regret or with joy? No, but there's so many financial decisions that we make. And if that was our last one, we'd be thinking, oh, man, I wish I could take that one back. I wish I could take back that one. I wish that's not the one I was going to die on. <laughs> I wish I could have a do-over. And see, when we honor the Lord with generosity, there's not regrets there. You think about the generosity of Jesus, even as we've been looking in the book of John. When, when he fed the people, we, talk, we studied this last week. Do you remember, were there leftovers? There's tons of leftovers. What does that tell you about Jesus' provision? It means that he gave lots. It means he said, hey, Peter, ring the bell. People can come get seconds. I want everyone to have a full belly here. Jesus is so generous with us. Even with a meal, he says, I want everybody to have plenty. I want everybody to come back for seconds and thirds, and then there's still leftovers. There's all these baskets left, a dozen baskets left full of food. That's Jesus. Uh, just before then, we, we uh, read about Jesus meeting the woman at the well in Samaria. And do you remember what the people begged of Jesus? They said, don't leave us, but stay and teach us for a little while. What does Jesus do? He drops everything and says, okay, I'll stay two extra days for you. Why? Because Jesus is not only generous with possessions, but he's generous with his time. And Dave preached the week before that about Nicodemus, who had come and met Jesus late at night. He says, can we have a conversation? I'm sure Jesus was tired, Sure, he would have loved to have gone to bed, but what does he do? He stays up in the middle of the night talking to this skeptic guy, Nicodemus, maybe unsure even of his motives. 
and he shares the gospel with him. Why? Because Jesus is generous with his conversations. He's generous with his time. He's generous with his love. He's generous with everything. And here's the thing. You will always be frustrated with things of money and finances. In fact, they'll feel like a burden to you. You'll feel bitter when you give. You won't find joy when, you, when you're looking at what you have or what you don't have. That will always be the case until one thing happens, and that's you realize how generous Jesus is with you. That's it. If this whole thing is based on how generous can I be, how good can I be, how, what a great person can I be, yeah, you're missing it. It's when we say, God, how generous you are with me. It's when we think back to Jesus saying that uh, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That when we realize that Jesus came to give, 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 and be generous with us, then we can finally start to figure out this whole generosity thing. In fact, we can start to figure out everything. Because when we say, Jesus, I thank you that you came and that you gave your life, and I want to follow you, then Jesus transforms us from the inside out, and everything about us changes. This sermon isn't about money. This sermon is about life. This sermon is about uh, what Jesus wants to do inside of you, and that he loves you so much, and he comes with compassion and generosity. And today, we just want to say, would you say yes to the generosity of Jesus who says, I came and I loved you so much that I gave my very life for you. This morning, if you would like to give your life to Jesus, we would love to visit with you and talk with you, pray with you. There'll be some folks up front that would be glad to pray with you. If you would, would you stand with me? And uh, I want to pray for us. And if you would like to make a decision, even during this song, you're welcome to come up. If you would like to mark your card for someone to study with you later, we would love to do that as well. God, we thank you for your extreme generosity. Uh, you set the benchmark. We can't touch it. We can't match it. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. We can't outgive you. Uh, we, we really can't earn anything. We can't be prideful. But we can say yes to your great generosity, which will then transform us to be generous with our lives to others, to let other people see you. And I pray for anybody who needs to today let go of their life. Maybe the demands of this life are holding them tightly and it's time for them to let go of their money and their calendar and their rules and the things that they're chasing so that you can have hold of them. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.